1: Everybody. hello this is two girls
2: one ghost two girls one ghost and we are your ghostesses that's corinne hello and i'm sabrina and my underneath are very sweaty oh that's interesting is it <laughs> hot and humid in la well i had to close the windows to record so i feel like i'm like hot boxed in my room
1: <laughs> every time you say hot boxed i don't know why i make you <laughs> laugh makes me giggle. anything to make you laugh corinne because everyone loves your cute little laugh. Sabrina, you always make me laugh. You fill me with joy every day. Oh my God. I look forward to talking wow. to you always.
2: Thank you. I feel the same about you.
1: I guess that's why we do this. <laughs> I did, when my company had announced that the date of our return or potential date of our return back to the office from working remotely, I made one final excursion down to Boston to visit our PO box. And collect the mail, and so yes, will be checking it until this kind of blows over again. So I'm sorry if I don't get to your thing, but I wanted to do a little quick mail corner. Mail, my mail. <laughs> blues <laughs> clothes. I love blues clothes. Okay, so Lindsay, who has designed quite a few of our merch items, she sent a note, and of course, like look at her her script or type or whatever you call it, her handwriting. Oh my god, beautiful. I know. I was like, I know this is from before I even (laughs) saw it. (laughs) So pretty. And I'm sorry, Sabrina. She does say hello to you and the ghost and the fruit fly. She sends her love. But (laughs) this really was for me. She sent a Oregon is for lovers and it's Bigfoot riding a bicycle with roses. It's a sticker. Oh, my gosh. She said she went to Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon, and couldn't leave without this cute sticker. And she said, I couldn't leave without this cute sticker of your BF. And she goes, oh, my gosh, BF equals boyfriend or Bigfoot. (laughs) It's code. It's code. Wait, that's so cute. I wonder if
2: it is. Are you doing scratch and sniff? Do you think it smells like Bigfoot? I thought maybe the roses could be
1: (laughs) sick. I grossed myself out. (laughs) I I can't
2: I can't tell if people will be able to know what you were just doing. But Corinne was fully inhaling. The sticker for quite a few seconds. Deeply, her eyes were closed. They fluttered a few
1: times. I think I saw her heart beat really fast out of her chest. <laughs> I don't know what Bigfoot smells like, so it's possible that he does smell like stickers, and that is <laughs> what that smells like. That would not be bad. And then Antoinette sent us this, and I just absolutely loved it. It was a picture of a like mossy Ooh. trunk. Right, trun- when I say trunk, I mean like w- like a like wood w- trunk. A tree. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been outside much. I can't remember names that are in nature. And it says, it's written like from the object in the photo. It says, hello, how are you doing? Me, I'm just a bit of moss hanging out on a log. Oh, log. That's the word I was looking for. Sorry, you are stuck inside. We need to keep all of you humans safe. Aww. The gnomes and ants would like for you to draw a self-portrait with your eyes closed or cut up magazines and make a poem. Enjoy your time at home. Oh, and if you're out walking, stop by and say hi. Oh my god, cute. Isn't that adorable? I love that. So cute. Okay. I also really
2: do want to draw a picture of myself with my eyes closed because it will be horrible.
1: Have you ever taken an art class? (laughs) Probably. Hasn't everyone? In
2: school, yes. Actually, in Girl Scouts, I did too.
1: Oh, did you? That's so fun. In college at LMU, I took a few art classes. And one of the exercises we had to do one time was... You don't close your eyes, but you essentially, like, look at a person in front of you. And without looking down and without taking your pencil up, you're supposed to try to draw them and kind of see, like, what happens. And it never really looks good. Or maybe (laughs) it doesn't for me.
2: Yeah. It's hard.
1: It is hard. Okay. And then we got this letter, a handwritten letter from Kaya. Kaya just had her 13th birthday. (gasps) Hi, Kaya. Happy birthday. A few weeks ago. Yeah. And she wrote this awesome letter. And so I'm going to read it on our next encounters episode because it's an encounter. So I want to, I want to read it. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So I will do that then. Amazing.
2: Can't wait. All right. Wait, also I got an email. We got an email. Shoot. I need to look it up. It's from a listener who, when we first started was 11 years old and sent us an email three years ago and now is 14 years old. And emailed us again and was just like, I'm now 14.
1: Oh Gosh. I love that. Oh, my goodness. And I was just
2: like, whoa, how cool.
1: I feel like this is the movie Boyhood and we get to see <laughs> our, listeners our listeners grow up. up. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> it's literally that's how I feel when I look outside my window. I think I might have told you this already, but one of my neighbors has a baby. And essentially, since we've been quarantined for a few months, I've watched the development of the baby being carried on her morning walks Aww. in her front, like, carrier on her parents' chest to now walking herself. And I'm like, oh,
2: this is so cool. That is amazing. That is the yeah journey of life.
1: And then Dan, Bigfoot Dan, he sent me a book because I did one of those pyramids game things on Instagram <laughs> where you, like, join and then you post and then the next person's supposed to post. Yeah. And, like, th- three removed sends you a book uh-huh. or something. And so he actually sent, even though he was participating in it, he sent me a book, which was oh, really nice. It that's very nice. I got some sweet books. He sent me The Martian. I also, I know that these people aren't our listeners, but I got The Alchemist, which is actually Ooh. such a good book. It changed my life our senior year of college. And then I have The Storyteller by Jodi Picoult, or P- Pico. I always say her name wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Um, And then A Good Killing by Allison Leota, which sounds really that good. That sounds right up uh, my alley. Well, I'll send it to you after. We'll keep passing books along. I think I saw those or
2: I was emailed to be to be a part of those. And then I was just like, I don't want to email everyone on my emailing list because like, are people really going to do it?
1: Well, that's the tough thing. And I will say I did it this time and I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much work and you put in all this effort and you pay for books for other people. And I feel like a lot of the times, like I have other friends who yeah. had responded to my post and then they posted And then no one responded to their post. And so then, therefore, like, they sent someone else a book, but they themselves will never get a book. And it's just... It's tough. It's a a pyramid scheme. Yeah. Which we are big fans of. Because I got four books. (laughs) Yeah. Pyramid schemes work for us
2: and our podcast.
1: Oh, and Dan did ask a couple questions in his note. I'll answer a couple of them. He asked where we keep all of the letters and cards and stuff that we get from our listeners. And I have quite a petite little apartment. And so the top shelf of my closet is like a display case for everything. And then when October comes around, I essentially take everything out of its nice organized area and display it all over (laughs) my apartment. And then Sabrina, you have essentially a podcast studio.
2: Yeah. So we have a guest room, which has transitioned into Nick's office during uh, quarantine. But above my desk, I have any artwork anyone's ever sent us up. And then I actually have a podcast box. I similarly have a love box for Nick and I with like all like the letters and notes and Aww. just things to look back at whenever you need a warm, fuzzy feeling in your belly.
1: Amazing. Okay. And then we got a package and a letter from Brad. And he said, good day, Sabrina and Corinne. I thought you would both might like a chunk of amethyst. Oh. And... Sabrina, you already have. You seen sent it. a picture because when I open, when he says "chunk of amethyst," that's not at all accurate. This is a giant, two giant <laughs> amethyst. I was like, "What the heck? This belongs in a museum." How did you even get your hands on this? I screamed <gasps> in my house. My dad came running from the backyard, thought I was injured because I was screaming with excitement, <laughs> and I was like, "No, I'm just so happy!" And then my parents got really involved because they too thought it was the most beautiful and miraculous piece of rock they've ever seen do
2: you have it right next to you i want to see it again
1: um yeah mine is on i gave you the bigger piece sabrina <gasps> oh, don't worry i'm gonna send good it to you, oh my god it's beautiful it's like
2: right on your bedside table oh my gosh, it's it is so pretty table.
1: it is now art wow it's so pretty but he sent the two amethyst chunks to us from uruguay whoa and he said that he had actually shared it on the facebook group i don't know how we missed that but you'd shared it with other members, and everyone's like, yeah, send it to them. So thanks, everyone. Wait, that's so nice. And thank you, Brad. Thank um, you. And then he also sent three, for each of us, three soapstone animals. Ooh. Sea turtle, howling wolf, unicorn, ladybug, seahorse, penguin. Um, And he had three packaged up. And so I'm trying to remember what was in my package and, and what I'm sending to you. But if you prefer to swap out any of the animals. Sabrina, we can do this after the podcast.
2: (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy
1: with any. This is like so nice. It's so nice. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to display it. Oh my God. I know. I was like, oh, this is going to be something that I have forever. Yeah. It will be a proud piece in my home. Of course. And then he said, thanks for being my bump in the night. Shit. That doesn't sound right, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I love
2: that phrase. It works so well with our podcast title. Oh my gosh. New change of slogan. It's not the most haunted podcast in America anymore. It's two girls, one ghost, the bump in your night.
1: Or the bump in your night. (laughs) oh man love it yeah wow a good mail run this was really exciting i love snail mail me too it's really fun so thanks everybody and i feel like i get to experience it twice because you open it and
2: tell me and then i have to wait and then i get my package from you and i get to go through it myself and i'm like
1: <laughs> yes oh. yeah some when it's something perishable i usually just send it to you right away but sometimes you have to wait a long time because <laughs> i bring it in my suitcase i come with like all the gifts that next time I see you and I'm like here's a suitcase worth (laughs) of things for you
2: so bachelorette you can save next trip you can wait
1: I'm gonna send you the the rock that
2: can't wait okay that's we need good vibes oh yeah all the time
1: oh I have good vibes I have a job yay
2: (laughs) prodigal son was renewed for a second season
1: yes And you were renewed, which is another thing, because there's not always that guarantee. And it's amazing. Yes. And they were like, we love you, Sabrina. We want you back. Not in those exact words,
2: but they did say (laughs) we want you back.
1: (laughs) Please, we want you back.
2: Yeah, I don't know when I start yet. I'm hoping that by the time this episode comes out, I have started already. But at this point now, we've known for like two weeks that we're going to come back. But the start date has not been determined.
1: So... I don't know. I'm so excited for you. Me too. What a relieving feeling. I know. Because I know, you know, we go through this every single, I say we, like I'm a part of this. (laughs) You are. But every year for writers in Hollywood, like you go on hiatus. There's always, always, always going to be essentially this month where you're not sure if the show you're on is going to be picked up again. And you're essentially unemployed and hoping that you're going to have a job or you're going to have to start looking for a job. And this year has been so unique for you because of COVID-19, you essentially had a much longer span of time that you weren't sure. Almost three full months right now. Well, I'm glad that Blindspot was renewed. You mean Prodigal Son. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm living in the past. That's okay. I'm glad you remember Blindspot. (laughs) I remember all your jobs, Sabrina. I'm glad Prodigal Son was renewed and I'm very glad that they... Saw your worth and rehired you. They're a strong ass writer. Me too. Wait, okay. Have you read Turn of the Key yet? Oh, I did. You finished it. Oh my gosh. I did. Well, so <laughs> I got it on Audible because you and I were gonna were okay, for everybody to know, we're recording both the encounters that came out last week and this episode, like back to back essentially. I realized when you had said, oh, we're going to talk about it in two weeks, that that really just meant one week for me because we were recording. (laughs) So I was like, oh, no. And so I spent like six hours listening to it on Audible on 2.2 times speed so that I could participate. Wow. So you did that. Here we are. You sped through. I did. And actually, it wasn't that hard to listen on 2.2 times speed because the narrator was so wonderful. I love this voice actor. She was so great. I was so in it. I was hanging on every single word, even though the words were flying by. And she enunciated quite well. And so wow, I I don't think I missed anything. What do you think? I loved the book. I've already recommended it to so many people. It's so good.
2: There was a point where I was reading it. And if you haven't finished reading, you can skip forward through this. Or if you have, great. Hi. There was a point where with the doll head and, you know, Mm -hmm. when she's sleeping down in like the TV room and wakes up with the doll head, like at her feet, I... It was 1130 at night and I had to put the book down because I was like, this is too scary. But then I was laying in bed and I couldn't sleep because I was like, I need to know what happens. I need to know the mystery. So I picked it back up and then I read until 145 in the morning and finished the book because I was like, I just need to know I can't fall asleep.
1: It was so good. It was one of those books where I think if I had been reading it in a slower setting, I would have been like you. I wouldn't have been able to put it down. Yeah, It's a hard one to talk about, too, because I feel like anything that we say is a spoiler. And I know that this is supposed to be a book club, but everyone read. Or if they didn't, they either can skip forward yeah. or still read it. But I feel like there was always something significant happening. Mm-hmm. And always something that made me be like, oh, gosh. Okay, so the there's a mystery. There's like three mysteries all at once. Essentially, it's this mysterious... Family who is in need of childcare and a live-in nanny. Because all of their, like, past
2: three nannies have left so quickly.
1: Yes. And because of – they cited paranormal activity. Yeah. And so the mystery is, like, what is this house? Who is this family? Who are these people? And then another mystery is, like, all of the other workers who work around the mm-hmm. house. There's a groundskeeper and slash chauffeur slash, like, master of everything. There's just a bunch of other characters that you're like, how do they fit in And what are they doing here? And it kind of reminds me almost of Hunting of the Hill House sort of vibe where there's the caretakers and they kind of like... They've always been with the house.
2: Right. Right. Because the the guy has the same name as the old owner whose daughter was poisoned.
1: Yeah. There's a poison garden. There's just all of these things that don't seem to make logical sense or don't seem to be... Everyone around them doesn't seem to be responding to them in a normal sort of state, Mm -hmm. I guess. And then the other mystery is our protagonist, because halfway through the book, you find out that she's not exactly who she said she was. Yeah, and so now you're kind of—I mean, she's the one narrating; she's the one telling what's going on. So she's giving very little information about herself until the very end. Yeah, yeah, that's what I—that's oh, what I love. So like the whole time, there are all these mysteries. Ruth Ware
2: set up all these possibilities of what it could be. So it kept you guessing the whole time. You're like, oh, I think I know what it is, but you never really knew what it was. Not until the very end, when the very last page, when you read the letter, do you know what it is?
1: Yeah, but don't read the last page. I'm so that person when someone's (laughs) like, oh my gosh, you don't find out until the very end. I always used to go and read the very last page and then I'd start the book over. I would, I can't do that. I can't. I've definitely done it like midway through books before, but you could, I couldn't do it on Audible. So that's the only reason I didn't, but it made the ending so much better. Cause I was like, what? And then I was, you know, you go back in your brain and you try to, it's almost like the movie Inception where you try to go back and start thinking or Shutter Island. I love that movie where you're trying to think of all of the scenes and all the situations that previously happened and start piecing together. Like, was I given clues? And I just wasn't I wasn't tuned into what was happening, that I missed something. Mm -hmm. It's almost one of those books that I would want to reread and see if there were those little sort of like hidden Easter eggs throughout the book. And
2: it's like Ruth Ware, we all know and love as, you know, the murder mystery writer. So when it was like, oh, also Mick, who does Mick and Cookies, is the one who we got the idea to read this as a book club book from. She... Was talking about it on her story and was like how about how it's paranormal. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Ruth Ware doing paranormal like this has like we have to read this and me. And it was like, you know, as much as we love the paranormal and I think we've read stories where the paranormal is the true cause. It is really cool to read something knowing it's Ruth Ware. It's a murder mystery that there is murder. There is a real true answer behind it. And trying to figure out what that was was really fun. I loved it.
1: Yeah, it was. I agree. I loved it. So good. We'll have to figure out what our next book is. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're recording this now, but we're going to post on our Facebook group and have a bit of a discussion there for anyone who read the book or just wants to participate. And you know, you can always spark notes it and still join. Suggestions for our next book? Let us know. Suggestions for our next book. Also on our Facebook page, we do have a few posts that are open to discussion about Black Lives Matter movement and systemic racism. So if you are interested in participating or learning from others in the group. Some of the things that are out there, Sabrina and I have been reading all of the comments and it's definitely taught me a lot. Yeah. And that's the best thing we can do right now is educate ourselves
2: and find out ways to put our words into action.
1: One of the things that we're doing to put words into action is we have donated to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, which is America's premier legal organization fighting for racial justice through litigation, research, and targeted advocacy programs. And we've also donated to the Trevor Project, which is the leading national organization providing crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to the LGBTQ community. It is Pride Month, and the Trevor Project is also focusing a lot of their efforts right now on assisting black LGBTQ members in society right now. So those are two of the organizations we've already donated to, and I'm sure we're going to find more ways to support as well Okay, this week's episode is about hitchhiking ghosts. hmm
2: So creepy. So creepy. You know, those ghosts just that appear on the side of the street and look real, and then you pull over and let them in your car, and then they disappear. Yeah, those good old ghosts. Those ghosts. I was actually doing, I think you're first with the story, but I was doing research mm-hmm. on the history of it. I kind of stumbled into the history of it, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. There's, like, this folklorist named Jan Brunvent, and he did all this research on the legend and how it evolved from early European stories about travelers on horseback. And the original story actually appears in the New Testament, in which an Ethiopian driving a chariot picks up the apostle Philip, who baptizes him and then just disappears. And then from there, the similar stories began to spread. The horses evolved to wagons and now obviously to cars. There is like this breakdown of the four types of hitchhiking ghosts. And the first is a hitchhiker who will give an address to the driver and then the driver will arrive to the destination and find that the passenger has disappeared. And then if they try to search for the passenger, they'll go to the door and they'll find that someone who previously lived at that address is now deceased. And then the second is where a hitchhiker is an older woman and would get in the car and prophecy a disaster or the end of a war or something similar to whatever's happening in the world at that time, and then immediately disappear after giving the prophecy. The third is a female hitchhiker who is met at some place of entertainment instead of a road, and she'll disappear shortly into the ride, and then an item or token she borrowed from the driver will then later be discovered on her gravestone, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And then finally... The last category is where the hitchhiker is later identified as someone divine like Jesus or in the story of the apostle who baptized the man in the New Testament. They concluded that the hitchhiker is in the majority of cases female and the driver is most often male.
1: How interesting. Okay. Well, I'll jump into what I covered for this episode. And I chose to talk about Resurrection Mary. Ooh! It was night in 1939 when a man named Jerry Paulus decided to go out for a night on the town. He was a South Side resident of Chicago, and he was super excited to go out. He was going to go out with his brother at the Liberty Grove and Hall at 47th and Mozart. And Jerry really enjoyed his night in the beginning. They were drinking. They were socializing. What a good time. And then on the dance floor, he notices a very strikingly beautiful young blonde woman in a white dress dancing. And she was seemingly alone. She wasn't really speaking to anyone. She wasn't with anyone that he could see. And so he decided, let me approach her (laughs) and let me ask this woman to dance. This is my moment. Romance. Romance. And so he goes up to this woman and he asks her for a dance and she obliges. She says, yes, I'd be happy to dance with you. And when Jerry asked for her name, she said, Mary. And that she lived on Damien Avenue. I'm not sure where she was giving him information on where she lived. My name is Sabrina.
2: I live on I guess, though, if you live in a small town, it's common. I don't know. In
1: 1939, too. Yeah. Yeah. So she said her name was Mary. She lived on Damien Ave. And when he grabbed her hand to dance, he noticed that her skin was extremely cold. And she seemed pretty shy. She was a little bit aloof. And this kind of added to Jerry's excitement. (laughs) Because, you know, she was mysterious. So he was having a really good night. He was dancing with this beautiful woman. And she had all this mystery surrounding her. And he was like, heck yeah, I met a lady. (laughs) And so they danced for a long time. They chatted just a little bit, but mostly they just enjoyed one another's company and the dance floor. And at one point, they are holding on to each other and they share a kiss. And he notes that her lips are just as icy as her hands. She's just like so cold to the touch. So as the night darkened and partygoers started making their way home, Jerry asked Mary if he could give her a ride home. And Mary says, yes. And Jerry had been with his brother, like I said before. And so Jerry, his brother, and Mary, they all get in the car to ride home. So Jerry's brother's third wheeling (laughs) at this moment. And so the three of them are in the car, and Jerry starts to drive towards Damien Ave, which is where Mary had said that she lived. But Mary asks if he can actually go the opposite direction. She wants to drive down Archer Ave, and Jerry's like, okay, I don't know what's happening, but sure. Pretty lady's asking me to drive down a different road. I'll do it. So he obliges. And and he drives down Archer Ave and Mary suddenly asks him to stop the car and he pulls off to the side and she said that she has to leave him and that he cannot follow her. And somehow she slips out of the vehicle without ever opening the door. She's just somehow outside of the car now. And Jerry's really confused and he's just watching her and his brother's watching her. Mary runs across the street into Resurrection Cemetery And vanishes into thin air. Into the cemetery. Into the cemetery. Oh my gosh. And this is how many, many stories of Resurrection Mary go. So just southwest of Chicago, along Archer Avenue, there is a cemetery called Resurrection Cemetery. Resurrection Mary. Mm. And for more than 80 years, this cemetery and the surrounding area have been the site of many unexplainable encounters with Resurrection Mary. And all of these encounters are eerily similar. So... Young men will be out for a night at the bar having a great time when they notice a young and gorgeous young woman. She's stunning, but seemingly quite aloof. She doesn't really socialize too much. The men all go approach her and ask her to dance, ask for her name. She says her name is Mary. They spend the night dancing, having a great time, her hands quite chilled. And towards the end of the evening, the men ask if she would like a ride home. She accepts And on the way home down Archer Ave, she anxiously asks her escort to stop the car, and the men always do. And though often confused, they watch as she asks them to stop in the middle of the road, across from the cemetery, with no residential areas in the nearby vicinity. She jumps out hurriedly, runs towards the cemetery, and as she approaches the locked gates, she will either pass through them or disappear right at the gates. Whoa. On certain occasions, Mary has actually written down her address on Damien Ave for the men who ask because they're like, okay, sure. Like, where do you live? Write it down and I'll take you home. And so when this happens to these men, those that actually still have, you know, like the napkin or whatever that she wrote her address down on, some have said that they have actually gone to visit the address the very next day. Because they they can't quite believe what they saw. And they assume like, oh, maybe she just slept out of sight. Maybe I was really <laughs> tired. Maybe I had too much to drink and shouldn't have been driving. And so they go because they're like, oh, let me let me see if this woman is okay, if she arrived home safely. So when they arrive to the address, they find a home. And when they knock on the door, an older woman answers. And they ask if there's a young woman that had arrived here safely the, the night before. And the woman tells them of her daughter. Her daughter, who had passed away years before after being a victim of a hit-and-run driver as she tried to make her way home after a night of dancing. Whoa. And as this older woman is explaining this to these men who show up, many of them look past her and they notice a framed photograph on the coffee table, a photo of the woman that had been dancing with them the night before. So. Wow. Pretty creepy. That's amazing. So amazing. She is in incredibly powerful in her presence in that she appears for very long periods of time, can have physical touch with people, can kiss them, can talk to them, can appear in solid form for hours and hours. And she doesn't just stick to late night drinking establishments. Many encounters dating back to the 1930s occurred in the very wee hours of the morning. Drivers who are driving late at night and you know working hard to stay alert as they drive down the dark streets so late at night They'll spot a young blonde, beautiful woman in a white dress walking down the street, and then suddenly she'll disappear. But then other times she will actually attempt to jump out in front of the car. Into the driver's horror, sometimes she succeeds and the car hits her, throwing her off the hood into the ground. And the drivers that hit her will be like, "Oh my god, oh my god, I hit someone!" Yeah, and they'll get out of the car. And sometimes there's nothing. Other times she'll still be in appearance. And she'll be crumpled and bleeding on the road. And as they try to approach her, she then disappears. Oh! And so many, many of these drivers are obviously concerned whether they see someone just walking late at night on the road like that, especially in certain weather conditions in Chicago, or if they hit someone. Many of these drivers will call the police and report this woman and her dangerous behavior and that they've hit a woman or there's a woman trying to jump out in front of traffic and that they can no longer see her. And so that sounds very terrifying in its own right, but sometimes she gets even closer. One night, a driver returning from a late night of dancing reported that a woman had jumped out in front of his car as he drove down Archer Ave and attempted to actually jump onto the running boards of the car. So she was, like, going to try to ride the car, like, hanging on the window. So terrifying. And other drivers have also been quite startled to find a woman actually opening their car doors and jumping in. She sometimes requests that these drivers, that she essentially just, like, jumped into their car, take her to Archer Ave. And so, obviously, they're terrified. And so they oblige only for her to disappear as they pass the entrance of Resurrection Cemetery. Wow. So who could this woman possibly be? Quite a few researchers have asked the same question and have looked into Resurrection Mary, who this Mary woman is. And based off the numerous encounters, the spectral figure typically runs in one direction in Resurrection Cemetery. And so the first thing that people did was like, okay, well, let's figure out if there are different graves over in the direction that she runs and and maybe we'll, you know, get the first clue of who Mary is. And so if you continue on the path that Mary initially makes... You'll eventually land in site number 9819, section NM, and you'll find a grave belonging to a young Polish woman named Mary Brugovi. Whoa. And this young woman, she died in a car accident in 1934 as she was making her way home from a night of dancing at an establishment called O. Henry. Mary had been 21 years old and was in the car with her three friends, John R., John T., and Virginia R., and when they were driving home, they got in an awful car accident. And everyone had survived the car crash except for Mary. And 50 years after this incident, another friend of this Mary, Vern, she heard the rumor about Resurrection Mary. And understanding that a lot of people were speculating that it was her friend Mary, Mary Burgovi, she starts looking into it and being like, is this my friend who's suspected of these hauntings? And she starts recalling the events of that weekend of the night that Mary had passed away. She and Mary had wanted to go shopping earlier in the day, and so they hitchhiked their way to a shopping plaza, accepting a ride from two men who were in that car with Mary that night. Vern remembers the men who had driven them to the shopping center being like quite wild, very rambunctious, and very flirty, and she just like did not want to have anything to do with them. She was kind of a little bit off-put by their behavior, and she was encouraging Mary to like let it be, let let this be our last contact with them. Don't continue hanging out with them. But Mary was like, no, they're cute. And so she makes plans to go out with these guys that night after their shopping trip. And Vern was like, no way am I going. I'm staying home. And then Vern is woken up by her mother that next morning, telling her that her friend Mary passed away in a car accident the night before. Whoa. And then three days after Mary's death, she was buried in Resurrection Cemetery. But there's a rather large issue with this theory of Mary Burgovi being Resurrection Mary. And this is that this Mary, Mary Burgovi, had short brunette hair. She did not die anywhere near the cemetery, although she was buried there. She was not wearing the white dress, that clothing that the ghostly figure has been seen in. And just altogether, her her general appearance doesn't fit the mold that every single person says that they they see when they see Resurrection Mary. But people are thinking that perhaps these rumors were started because of a groundskeeper from fifty years ago who said that he often spotted Mary Burgovi with brown hair dancing in the cemetery at night nearby her grave. She'd be in a orchid colored dress. Floating around, having a nice time. And apparently this actually did match Mary Brigovi's appearance. So perhaps she is a spirit in the cemetery, but it seems to be that she's she stays within the cemetery grounds and just dances around and has a great time. So now we're like, okay, well, who is this long-haired blonde woman in a white dress who darts in front of cars and visits local dance spots to lure men to the cemetery gates? Who is this Mary? Right. And so researcher Frank Andre Gesich of Summit, Illinois, he May have cracked the case. <gasps> Love that. Here's the thing it's a ghost stories, so we'll never ever know unless this ghost comes up and says, Hello, these are my stats. Here's <laughs> my medical history and blah, blah, blah. What he found is very convincing. So he first became aware of this haunting back in 1994 and he spoke with people who lived during that time who had been a part of the nearby parish. He looked at first and secondhand accounts with ghostly encounters and resurrection Mary encounters. He checked newspaper articles, photos, burial records, all of this. And in his search, he was able to connect with Jake Pallas, who was the younger brother of Jerry, who was the one that I first told you about, who met Mary out on the dance floor and shared a kiss with her. And through other accounts, he also learned of other possible connections of people that could be this figure, Mary, this spectral image. Mary, like a young girl who had crashed in her car outside a resurrection cemetery and was buried in the same cemetery. But what's quite interesting is the theory that stuck best, which is what I'm going to tell you, although he has discovered many things. Mm -hmm. Uh, This spirit is actually believed to be the spirit of a 12 year old girl named Anna Norgus. Oh. Anna had been born in the area in 1914 and she grew up in an incredibly religious household. She began going by the name Mary to show her devotion to the Blessed Mother Mary. And at age 12, she was a slim, blonde, young girl, and she absolutely loved to dance. And she was begging her father, like, Dad, for my 13th birthday, please, please, please take me to (laughs) dance. All I want to do is dance. That's all I want for my birthday. Please take me. And so he's like, okay, fine. I agree. We'll go out for your 13th birthday, and you can dance. And so they go to O. Henry Ballroom and they're accompanied by her dad's friend and her dad's friend date. There's another woman. And so the adults are just all kind of like having a good time. And Anna slash Mary got to live out her dream of dancing the night away into her 13th birthday.
2: But that's so young in comparison to all the other stories.
1: It is. Which is also even more disturbing when you're like, wait, little man because a 12-year-old yeah. girl. Yeah. it's It's when you start dissecting it, it's quite <laughs> gross. But it's believed that it might be her. This might be who the spirit of Resurrection Mary is. Hmm. So after her 13th birthday kind of concludes the, the dancing portion of it, at least, they obviously leave O'Henry Ballroom and they start to drive home. And it's 30 a.m. So she got to dance the whole night into basically closing. And so they're making their way home and they're driving down Archer Ave right near Resurrection Cemetery when their car suddenly veered off the side falling down a 25-foot railroad cut, killing Anna instantly. Oh my gosh. And as if her father hadn't already just experienced probably the worst thing to ever happen to him in his entire life, he was bashed by the public, stating that her death was his fault. He should have never let her go dancing at such a young age. This was God's way of punishing him. But the reality is... Is He was doing something that he thought was best for his child or, or brought his child the most amount of joy. And the road itself was incredibly unsafe. And in fact, the site where they went off and where Anna Mary died was the same site that a man named Adam Levinsky died the very next day. So this one section of road was so dangerous that two people died in 48 hours on this one little section. That's odd. Very dangerous and odd. Like, fix the freaking road. Yeah. How sad. How tragic. Very tragic. Very tragic. And so after she passed away, she was set to be buried at St. Casimir Cemetery. But it's thought that the cemetery gravediggers had been on strike at that time, as often gravediggers were in the area because they were so underpaid, not the best conditions. And so oftentimes cemeteries would go on strike. And back then they didn't have all of these techniques for... Keeping a body cold and preserving it for very long. So essentially you had about like three days to bury a body or it was going to be kind of bad news. And so if they were on strike at the cemetery where she was set to be buried, she wouldn't have actually been able to be buried there. And it's thought that instead her uncle likely buried her silently, secretly, at Resurrection Cemetery where he worked as a gravedigger. Perhaps – Leading to her spirit's unrest because she was buried away from the rest of her family. And Resurrection Mary continues to haunt the Chicago residents. Not long after Anna's death, sightings of this dancing woman, Mary, began to appear. And she seemed to be quite active between dancing spots in the cemetery, often hitchhiking her way to bars as well. Cab drivers would sometimes come in asking, like, where did that young woman go? She got out of my car and never paid my fare. The people inside the bar would be like, there was no one just walked in. Like, there was no one. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, my gosh. And they would always describe her exactly as Resurrection Mary's appearance has been described to be. Said that she was pale. She was likely powdered uh, from her entire face and body, like, all over. She had white powder on her. That's how she got so pale, which is like a ghost. And one disturbing incident occurred when a driver passed Resurrection Cemetery and noticed a young woman locked in at the gates attempting to get out and as this driver passes this young woman who is now known to be resurrection mary Mm -hmm. was gripping onto the gates and she looked to be in distress and he was like oh my gosh someone got locked in the cemetery and so this was before cell phones and so he drives to the nearby police station and says hey guys i think someone's locked in resurrection cemetery i saw someone behind the gates trying to get out and so the police are like oh gosh all right we'll go let them out and so they set out, they are ready to free this girl from her accidental entrapment. But when they get there, the only evidence that they found was something that disturbed all of them. The metal of the gates at Resurrection Cemetery had been pried open as if someone just got it open enough to slip out and the dirt and pollen and all of the grime and grud that had collected on these metal bars, these gates, had imprints on each of the gates that had been bent. Two small, delicate hand marks. And supposedly, the cemetery management called the Archdiocese of Chicago to come investigate these bars and these handprints because they were like, this is paranormal and we are scared. And when the Archdiocese promptly came to investigate, they removed the bars from the cemetery and it said that it's thought that they are somewhere in storage in a basement somewhere, but they've never been seen again, so there's not much that we can do about that. That's crazy. Strong little ghost. Such a strong ghost. Like, if only. Can you imagine? Also, isn't that weird that sometimes she just runs through the gates and has all of the free will in her ghost body to just transport herself through solid objects. And other times she's like, let me out. I know. I'm also
2: just so confused. Like, her MO seems to be very similar. Like, every encounter seems They follow the same patterns. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. either she's in the middle of the road or you meet her at a dance or some entertainment thing. And then you take her home. She tells you to go the wrong way. And then she, like, disappears into the cemetery. But how does she get to the dance? Does she
1: hitchhike her way there? Yeah, sometimes she does. Because the cab drivers will look for her like, this chick didn't pay. Oh. Sometimes she does. I bet she walks sometimes. Or maybe she just appears. Who knows? She's just out for a good time. She is. I also wonder if perhaps there was someone who tried to kind of keep her spirit to the cemetery. Someone who had seen her believed in her or had some sort of like extra power. And maybe they did something to essentially like banish her soul to this area. And the only way she could get through was through like the bars or Mm. something. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of why she'd possibly break open the bars, leave horrifying evidence behind.
2: I wonder if sometimes as a ghost, you forget you're a ghost.
1: (laughs) Maybe. Yeah.
2: And that's just what she had to do.
1: That variable could be. I'm sure a lot of hauntings around here are just confused spirits being like, wait, what? What's happening?
2: Wow. All
1: right. So one night, Ralph, who was a veteran, a father, a little league baseball coach, a churchgoer, etc. He's got all these titles. He had stopped to pick up a hitchhiker who was on the side of the road, a young woman with long blonde hair and a white dress. And she told him where she needed to go. And Ralph got only a couple miles up Archer Ave when the woman suddenly yelled, Here! Here! And Ralph, confused, was like, Where? And she points across the road to Ralph's left and says, There! And he looks and he sees a small little shack. And when he looks back to her, she's gone. Oh my gosh. And then in 1989, she appears again. And this time on a snowy January night. A cab driver stopped outside of the old Willow Shopping Center saw this woman waiting in the freezing cold snow. She was in a white dress and leather dancing shoes dressed entirely inappropriately for the weather that was happening in Chicago and it seems to be very cold. He stopped to pick her up and she got into the front seat and she told the cab driver that she needed to go home and she started directing him towards Archer Ave. But this time, this report of Resurrection Mary, she was being a little different. She was acting a little differently. In previous encounters, Mary had always been able to speak and answer questions just fine, although, you know, she was a bit aloof Mm -hmm. at times. However, this time she seemed to be having a really hard time holding a conversation, seemingly disoriented, and answering any questions seemed to cause a bit of strain over her. She was really just struggling to kind of communicate, although she was physically present. The only thing that she was able to say with complete clarity – to the cab driver, at least as the cab driver recalled it, was, the snow came early this year. And when she got to the front of Resurrection Cemetery, she said, here, and then she vanished. She also appears to have the ability to control who sees her as well. Because in the late 1980s, there were two teenage boys who were in the car. They were passing by Archer Ave. They had never, ever, ever heard about the legend of a hitchhiking ghost or Resurrection Mary, none of this before they spotted this woman dancing down the road by the cemetery fence just having a good old time right by the border of the cemetery and they're like this chick's acting weird (laughs) and so they're watching and then they're noticing that all the other passengers in the car don't seem to notice her they can't see her and so the boys are like what is happening and so they bring it up to their parents and then their parents know about resurrection mary and tell Mm -hmm. them you must have seen her And similarly, Susan Sturzberg, an author, and her friend Kristen had a very odd and like such a creepy experience one night. They had heard of the legend of Resurrection Mary. And so they're like, ooh, wouldn't it be so fun if we go check out one night all the spots that Resurrection Mary haunts? And so Kristen, she gets a car. And as soon as she gets a car, they're like, let's make this plan. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so they set out one night to kind of like ghost chase, I guess. And they drove down Archer Ave, they drove by the cemetery, and they ended up at Chet's Melody Lounge where they had talked to a bunch of regulars about the legend. This lounge has been one of the spots that Mary frequents and she appears at. And so these two women are having so much fun. They're ghost hunting. I picture it kind of like as me and you, Sabrina, just like, (laughs) let's go and investigate all these places. I was just thinking about this because
2: that guy who dedicated himself to figuring out who Mary was and, like, the origin and who she was in life, Mm -hmm. making that your job, it's like how now podcasters – We'll do, like, a whole journalist investigation and try to find out who the murderer
1: is. Like, that's this. But it's so cool. It's so cool. Maybe that's our dream job, do you think? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Like It would be cool. Find out
2: who this ghost is with me on this journey.
1: Yeah. Especially Resurrection Mary because there's so much, so many experiences. And, like, it's just such a big topic Mm -hmm. to cover. But anyway, so... Kristen and Susan, these two friends, they're like, we're having a good time. They go to the lounge. They had already driven by the cemetery and down Archer Ave. They're talking to everybody about all the weird experiences and ghost stories. And my cousin's cousin heard this from their neighbor, whatever. And so after many, many hours, they leave around 2 a.m. And they head to the cemetery for one last look. And they park at the gates of the cemetery. And they watch. And nothing happens. And so they're like, dang it! Nothing out of the ordinary. We didn't get to see Resurrection Mary. So they get back in the car and Kristen drives Susan home. And then Kristen goes back to her place. And when Kristen pulls up to her apartment, her boyfriend, Mike heard the car. And so he peeks out the window and and watches and Kristen gets out of the car and she walks in and then she closes the door behind her. Mike asks, where's Susan? And Kristen's like, I dropped Susan off already and confused. He asked, well, who was in the car with you? Because he had seen when he peeked out the window as Kristen drove up he had seen a pale face looking back at him from the passenger side door. <gasps> oh. So they picked up Mary, but couldn't see her. Oh, so creepy. And that's what they had, like, gone looking for, too? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, oh, gosh. It gives me chills to think that she was just, like, riding shotgun, and Kristen had no idea. So amazing. And remember I mentioned that they had gone to Chet's Melody Lounge because... That was one of the spots that Resurrection Mary apparently frequents. Mm -hmm. This bar is nearby the cemetery, and it has had its fair share of encounters. And the owner, Chet Prusinski, was – I mean, I think he's got a whole host of encounters and and experiences and secondhand experiences, too. But one of the ones that I read was that Chet himself, the owner of Chet's Melody Lounge, he was backing out of his driveway in the summer of 1996, and a man is – frantically approaching him, like running up, oh yelling he needs a phone. He's requesting a phone. He just hit a woman on Archer Ave. He can't find the body. He needs to contact the police. And alongside him was a truck driver who was like, I saw it too. We can't find her. But yeah, he struck a woman. And they're both there like freaking out. And Chet's like, all right, I'm going to give these guys the phone to call the police. But I don't know where this is going probably. And so at the time he's like, hey, man, yeah, I used my phone, but maybe... Maybe when you tell this story to other people, leave my name out of it. Leave the lounge out of it. Because at the time, there was just so so much going on in so many accounts of Resurrection Mary. And he was just like, I don't want people to think that I did this as a publicity stunt. This is not my my active choice or me making something up. And so at the time, he was like, oh, leave me out of it. But what's even more interesting is that the actual site of Archer Ave and Resurrection Cemetery, and obviously Chet's Melody Lounge is nearby, but this actual Archer Resurrection Cemetery is surrounded by water, which is thought to bring psychic activity. Mm. And not only that, but the road is believed to be a ley line. And do you remember we've talked about ley lines before, I think on alien episodes. Yes. And there was
2: like an someplace in Ireland that I talked about. I can't remember the name, but yeah, we, we've definitely talked about ley lines.
1: Yeah. So ley lines just as like a Very, very quick reminder, they're thought to be this line in the earth that connects to other ley lines. And in these meeting points, they're often uh, sacred sites found. And the ley lines and meeting points themselves are often cited as being the location of strange phenomena, concentration of paranormal events happen here. There's different energy just all of this weirdness there's if you watch alien documentaries a lot of times they talk about ley lines because there's a lot of like crop circles and alien sightings and all of this concentrated on sort of like ley lines which just high energy yes exactly and so archer ave and resurrection cemetery are on a ley line and so everyone's wow. like hmm, i wonder if this is contributing to all of the spirits kind of continuing to haunt that are in the cemetery and nearby and so the sightings and the mystery of resurrection mary continues And Resurrection Mary remains in Chicago, hitchhiking, dancing with strangers, and shocking drivers as she lunges in front of their cars. And there are so, so many more sightings and so many more details and theories surrounding Resurrection Mary, but I couldn't even come close to including everything here because we have a format and we try (laughs) to stay around a certain time. And so if you're curious about Mary and want to learn more about her, I suggest that you listen to the podcast, Astonishing Legends. They did a four-part special on Resurrection Mary, and each of their episodes is close to two hours long. So you can listen to essentially eight hours of Resurrection Mary. So you can go check that out if you if you like. Damn. Yeah. When they first came out with those episodes, I I think it was like 2018 when Astonishing Legends did covered Resurrection Mary. And I just remember like on my walking commutes and and doing whatever I was doing. Just listening and being like, oh, my God. So crazy. That is
2: wild. I'm so curious because, the, you know, there have been so many different accounts of Mary and what she looks like. And then the man who kind of first sighted her, it did seem like the Mary whose tombstone is in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. But then Mary, yeah. who everyone else sees, is very different. doesn't really match that description. It's like, did the Mary that everyone sees... Is she presenting as Mary? And Mary's not really her name, but she's like, oh, there's this woman, Mary, who passed away in the town when she was leaving a dance. So I'm going to go and like take her identity almost just to go have fun Mm. or similar to like haunted houses like your house in Vermont, where the ghosts aren't necessarily attached to the house or where your land is, but more this woman's just like taking a spot there. And she's like, I just like it here. I like the men. Yeah. I like the dances.
1: I know. And I'm trying to think more about like if it is Anna slash Mary because she changed and started going by the name Mary. If it was her spirit, think about the more I think about like myself when I was 12 and the idea of like 18, 19-year-old boys in the 1930s like dancing Mm -hmm. at these dance halls. When I was 12, I looked like I was 22. So – Maybe she was kind of in a similar situation and she was feeling a little bit rebellious and, you know, she was pre-teen entering teen years and perhaps that was her MO. Yeah, maybe. That's true. Trying to go kiss some boys and have a little rebellious 13th birthday.
2: That's true. My mom did date like a 25-year-old some something or other when she was like 13. <laughs> so it's very possible. I just think of what I was like when I was 13 and what I looked like and my crazy braces and gap tooth. I just can't imagine ever pulling off being older than 13.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll show you pictures of me. My parents were horrified to have me <laughs> as in my 12 year old state. I looked the exact same from age 12 to 23. Right. I need to see. I looked the same. The only thing I did different was I did bottom eyeliner and that was a mistake. It was one that we've all experienced. Yeah. No, but I I like remember being 12 and 13 years old and being out with my friends. And I remember people approaching me and. There was one time specifically where these college boys that went to UVM like started talking to me and invited me to their college party because they oh, thought I was older. My and I was like, "Well, I can ask my mom if she can drive <laughs> me." And then they were horrified when they realized that I was at like, oh my god, barely underage. How funny! Yeah. So wow, I don't know. Like maybe she was just having a good time, and also this Anna slash Mary was raised in a very religious household too so i wonder if some of her spirit is like i am not restricted to any sort of i don't know maybe just trying to experience life a little bit more you know yeah i guess it's not over when you're dead no it doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. so yeah resurrection mary it's just a ghost story that i think has stuck with me and i'm desperate to go now to archer ave and go to chicago but i also kind of also like being in the comfort of my own home cuddled up in my bed listening to podcast version of the story and, and feeling a bit safer okay let's hear about your hitchhiking ghost okay so your story was
2: kind of the third version of the female hitchhiker who like appears at a place of entertainment but mine is a mix of two of the categories she's an older woman sometimes who gives prophecies and is a deity her name is pele Pele is today associated as the vanishing hitchhiker of Hawaii and since the 1930s there have been many accounts and reports of people who see Pele standing or walking along an isolated road. She has sometimes appeared as an old woman, other times as a young woman, sometimes as a dog, sometimes either old or young woman with a dog. She appears with long black hair or sometimes blonde hair or sometimes red hair. So there's no consistency in in how she appears and no one really knows why she appears the way that she does. But legend says that Pele's body was destroyed and only her soul survived. And now her soul can change form as she sees fit, which maybe it has to do with who's going to drive by her. And she tries to change her appearance based on who's going to drive by like, you know, What's most likely to get them to stop? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Regardless of how she appears, Pele will look as if she's requesting a ride. And when drivers stop, she will whisper words of caution to the driver and then simply disappear. Recently, there was a story of a driver who stopped for Pele and she asked for a cigarette. And so the driver hands her a cigarette and Pele takes it. And out of thin air, out of her fingertips, she lights the cigarette with fire, starts to smoke it, and then vanishes. Which is so badass.
1: That I mean, you had me at her walking with a dog, so (laughs) now I love her even more. And she actually really
2: loves and appreciates the people who stop for her, but she does not take kindly to the drivers who drive past her, and she is known to destroy the homes of people or stall the cars of those people who drive past her and do not pick her up. And there's a common expression on the Big Island that is, it goes like this, never refuse an old lady. She might be Madame Pelé. And... She is a very respected ghost, but she's much more than that. She's revered in Hawaii because she is the goddess of volcanoes and fire, sometimes attributed as the creator of the Hawaiian islands. And there are all these different stories, origin stories of Pele. It's always consistent that she's one of the most important gods in Hawaii and is a descendant of the supreme beings. So I'll just tell you a few versions of her origins. So according to legend, Pele lives in one of Earth's most active volcanoes, Kiliwa'e, which is on the Big Island, and she patrols all volcanic activity on the Big Island of Hawaii, and she reportedly lives within, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm not going to say this right, but the Helumuma'u Crater within the Kiliwa'e volcano. In one version of Pele's backstory, she journeyed on a canoe from the island of Tahiti to Hawaii by herself, and throughout her journey, she was attempting to start little fires on small islands that she passed, but her sister was chasing her, trying to put an end to her, trying to kill her, and in the end, the two sisters fought one another, and Pele died. When she died, her human body was destroyed, but her spirit was able to flee to Kiliwe'i, the volcano, and her body became the lava and steam that comes from the volcano. And she can harness the energy of the volcanoes to transform her appearance, which is why travelers on the road will see her in various forms. Another version of the story, and kind of all the origin stories end up with one of her sisters killing her. But the, this version is that Pele fell in love with her sister's significant other. And due to the drama of the situation, Pele's elders instructed her to leave their land, which is now known as Tahiti. And so Pele left, but she brought her other siblings along with her. And they stopped along the way so Pele could look for fire. But each time, the moisture would extinguish the fire, which was said to be her sister's wrath. And finally, she made it to what is today the Big Island, and the flame could not be extinguished. So she settled on the big island, calling it home. And then she traveled to visit her siblings, who were on what is now Maui, in her human form. And her sister was furious that she was still alive and killed her. And almost immediately after her death, Pele's sister saw a redness in the clouds over Kiliwe'i and knew that Pele had transformed into the lava goddess.
1: I'm getting real Moana vibes from this story. I'm sure there's a lot of inspiration that was taken from this.
2: Yeah, I mean, she's, Pele is, she's been told through generations of time in Hawaii. And right. yeah. even she's one of the, the prominent characters in hula and is, has been dedicated many dances and songs.
1: That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I love watching hula.
2: And even after the old religion was officially abolished in 1819 in Hawaii, belief in Pele continued. And so today she appears in human form, hitchhiking along isolated roads and warns driver-bys of any future volcanic activity And warns them to tell everyone they know. But if they don't tell people, then that person will not survive the next eruption.
1: Wow. Yeah.
2: Talk about some accountability. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of like, I'm doing you a favor by warning you, but you now need to deliver that message to everyone you know.
1: Right. Or karma. Mm -hmm. It'll come back and you will be dissolved in lava. So she has two
2: sides to her. She offers hope and survival to driver buys, mm-hmm. but does not forgive those who ignore her or steal from her. And there is what is now known as Pele's Curse, which has affected many tourists and travelers. And it's believed that if anything native to Hawaii is taken, such as sand, rock, pumice, anything, bad luck will descend upon the person who stole the item. Kind of like, what's the town that we covered? That you covered? Bodhi? Bodhi. It's very similar to Bodhi. So a lot of people will, you know, you're out in Hawaii, you're touring a volcano, you see a volcanic rock, and you're like so tempted by it. you're like, oh, how cool! I want to take this home. Well, don't because don't <laughs> bad luck will follow you. There are people who have like gotten divorces and misfortune, unhappiness, like losing all of their money. You know, all of those stories until they return what they took. So. Local park rangers receive dozens of packages every day and letters from tourists seeking Pele's forgiveness. Some people think that the government made up that curse in order to stop people from taking things. Right?
1: From- <laughs> yeah. Either way, um, if I were a ghost and I overheard the government being like. There is a curse you cannot take this. I'd be like, yeah, man. I'm, gonna I'm going to take this curse. I'm going to be that curse.
2: I got you. Whether it's true or not, just don't take any rocks from any national park or anything because you don't want to risk it. Only take your memories with you. Exactly. Pictures. That's all you need. And there have also been many reports of seeing Pele and her white dog at the top of the volcano, standing in a place that would be impossible to reach by foot. And their sightings are sometimes seen as a warning of an eruption. But the more startling sightings and also really cool sightings of Pele are when she is seen within the flowing lava, steam, and eruptions. And there are <gasps> countless photos. Photos? And it's not like, oh, a small little woman within the massive volcanic eruption. Oh it is gosh. the entire eruption that looks like her. I have chills. And there are so many more. But these were like the most. Oh my goodness. I literally,
1: I get so many chills. <laughs> This is powerful. Mm -hmm.
2: And then of course I have stories from people on the interwebs who have experienced her themselves. Let's hear. So the very first recorded incident in which Pele appeared to boo a driver was on the island of Hawaii in 1925. She was in the form of an older woman walking along the side near or in the South Kona region. And then two cars passed her without greeting or stopping for her. And then finally a third car stopped. He was on his way to go visit his family, who apparently, I don't know if this is true, but apparently he claimed his family were descendants of Pele. But anyway, he saw this old woman on the side of the road, and he decides to stop. And he gives her a ride. She gets in. Along the way, they pass the two cars that had not stopped for this woman. And they were both stalled on the side of the road. And so when the driver reached his destination, he told the old woman he would continue and take her directly to where she was going. But she didn't respond, and he turns around, and of course, the back seat was empty because the old woman had vanished. Another story comes from, this was told, passed down through this man's family, but he was the owner of the Volcano House from 1904 to 1921. His name was George Lysurgis, and he had numerous encounters with Pele. After all these experiences, he would tell his family of all these tales, and he said one evening, soon after he had first bought the Volcano House, he joined a group of people having a luau on the edge of Kilauea, the volcano. During the party, he saw a skinny old woman with straggly gray white hair kind of standing towards the edge of the pit of a volcano. And she was holding herself up with a stick. And so George goes over to this woman and he invites her to join the party, just starts a conversation with her. And she says, no, thank you. I have work to do. And she turns and walks towards the pit and then disappears and everyone there um, freaks out because they're like, oh my God, this woman just fell into the pit of the volcano.
1: Yeah. But
2: no one was there. She didn't fall. She was a ghost or she was a goddess Pele. And then soon after, the volcano began to erupt. So everyone had to flee the area really quickly.
1: Oh my goodness. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I think I would be scarred after seeing that happen.
2: No thanks. I have work to do.
1: <laughs> and then <laughs> she's so bad. know.
2: Uh, there's uh, one last story. There's thousands of stories. I think there's a whole book mm-hmm. called Pele Goddess, which I got some of these experiences and encounters with Pele from, but there's a whole book and I only got three stories from it. So I'm sure there are many more. The So this last story is from a bookstore clerk named Lynn, and she recalled an evening where she was driving home from Iowa Valley and she saw up ahead on the road, a young woman hitchhiking. And she got this weird feeling in her gut, like something was wrong. And she was like, something doesn't feel right here. So Lynn chose to keep driving and she drove past the hitchhiker, taking a quick glance as she passed her. And the woman on the side of the road made direct eye contact with her and gave her a creepy smile. <laughs> and Lynn was like, ooh, shaking in her boots, like so scared. But she was like, okay, but I drove past her. The feeling will go away. Mm-hmm. It's fine. But the feeling did not go away. And only a few miles later, she stops at a light. And she's looking out on the street. And there on the corner is the exact same woman. Oh, my god! But how did she get there? So Lynn is like, I'm going crazy. I'm seeing things. So she like, closes her eyes. And she like looks back up. But sure enough, the hitchhiker is still there. The same exact woman she had seen miles back. And the woman was staring directly at Lynn, making direct eye contact with her. So Lynn didn't know what she was supposed to do. Was she supposed to stop or smile or wave? She didn't know, but then the light turned green and she was still scared, so she just drove. She kept driving, drove past the woman, who once again, as Lynn was driving by, made direct eye contact with her and gave her a very eerie
1: smile. See, the thing is, is if you were driving and someone creepily smiled at you, would you want to stop? No. I, I know she's probably providing opportunities for this woman to pick her up, and but no. And also, like... We've been taught that we're not supposed to pick up hitchhikers, especially if we're a woman driving alone. I know. And when you get this terrible
2: feeling in your stomach, of course not. So Lynn keeps driving, comes to yet another light, and guess who's there? The same hitchhiker. So Lynn is horrified, and she steps on it and speeds into the nearest place with any people. She pulls into a parking lot of this store. She runs inside and is just like, I don't know what to do. She like just finds anyone she can and starts talking to them and trying to figure out what she just experienced. And basically everyone was like, I think you're hallucinating. Are you okay? Do you need medical care? And then one person stepped forward and was like, no, 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 no. That was Pele. That was Madame Pele. (laughs) And the man suggested that perhaps because Lynn chose not to stop, Pele was messing with her, which is better than stalling your car out, I guess, or burning your house on fire, but still quite unsettling. Yeah. So Pele was most recently seen before the 2018 eruptions where about 716 dwellings were destroyed by lava and Hawaii's largest natural freshwater lake was destroyed. But on December 5th of 2018, after 90 days of inactivity in Kilauea, the eruption that initially began in 1983, so this active volcano was erupting from 1983 to 2018, was finally declared to have ended.
1: That feels like far... Too much time to actively be chilling as a volcano and erupting. Haley has work to do. Haley, I'm sorry, I can't. I have work to do. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish I had that power to just like hop into a volcano and creep everyone out and just keep going on my job. Yeah. She is the goddess of fire and volcanoes. It's the most extreme mic drop I've ever heard of.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. I have work to do. Can't party with you.
1: I can't party with you. Oh my goodness, I love her. I feel I feel kind of conflicted because I really respect her. And I like that she is this deity with all of this power and she appears in the lava and she encourages people to be better people. But at the same time, she also reacts quite violently when people do not make the right choices yep. for the choices that she would like them to make. But to be fair, her
2: sister did kill her.
1: Her sister freaking killed her.
2: Yeah. And then she had to live in a volcano so i feel like there's you know if we're looking at it from a psychological standpoint she has some issues she still probably hasn't worked through
1: it's true that's right she she has work to do she's working on herself she's working on volcanoes and all of everything i don't know what she does (laughs) well only she knows because i'm sure (laughs) half
0: of it's secret
2: Okay, listener stories.
1: Listener stories.
2: We have a lot of hitchhiking ghost stories in our inbox.
0: It's
1: pretty wild how many people have come into contact with hitchhiking ghosts. It's very creepy. Okay, this is from Kaya, and she writes, OMG, I just listened to your hitchhiker episode, and you guys need to hear this story. When I was younger, I lived in a small wooded town in New Hampshire called Fremont. My best friend, Maddie... Her dad had a plow on his truck and he plowed for the town every winter. One night after a huge snowfall of like two plus feet, he was plowing down one of the back roads when he saw a younger kid. He says he looked like a teenager in a t-shirt and jeans. Obviously, Mowdy's dad was concerned for this kid because he was trudging through snow in a t-shirt. And I'm sure you know how brutal New England winters can be. Mm -hmm. So he pulled over and he rolled down his window and he was trying to get the kid's attention and ask if he can give him a ride home or at least bring him somewhere that he could warm up. The kid just kept walking and didn't acknowledge her dad, but her dad followed the kid in the direction that he was walking, calling the local police because he wasn't about to let this kid just freeze to death in the snow in a t-shirt. He followed the boy down another road and off another road when suddenly the kid turned into a snow-covered field and seemingly disappeared. Oh, it's so chilling. Maddie's dad got out of the truck And walked a bit into the snow where he lost Savakid, and he walked into something stone, and he leaned down to brush the snow off whatever it was that he walked into, and it was a freaking graveyard (gasps) covered in snow. And the grave he disappeared into had the name Chase on it. That was Maddie's dad's last name. Ooh. And he freaked the hell out and he jumped back into the truck and he waited there because the officer was on his way. And when the local cop pulled up, Maddie's dad explained what happened to the cop and the cop's face went white. And he told her dad that last summer, the exact same thing happened to him when he was patrolling and that he followed the kid for a while until he literally disappeared into that same graveyard. Oh, hi chills. Ah! Yeah. When he got out to look for him, he was nowhere. It's now kind of a legend in Fremont and most people know about it and a lot have had the same experience. To this day, Maddie's dad tears up when he talks about it because it freaked him out so much. Oh my gosh. And she said, if you want, I live nearby and could probably get a photo of the gravestone (sighs) because it's still there. So creepy. Yes. I mean, Kaya, if you're offering. Please. We love that. Then yes, but don't feel peer pressured to go expose yourself (laughs) if you don't want to go. Only if you want to go. Yeah. But And then we would really appreciate it. So cool. Only if you want to. (laughs) Emphasis on only if you want to, but we really want to. (laughs) How crazy. Wow. And the cop for the cop to show up and be like, oh my God, this happened to me six months ago. I mean, at least that's what happened
2: because I feel like so often something like this happens and you tell a person and they're like, You're just losing it. Like you you're it's snowy, you probably like, you know, it's hard to see.
1: Right. And they're like, wasting my time. Like, oh, they just I vanished.
2: Think. No one just vanishes. Ghosts? What are those? How cool that you can share this experience. And then, yeah, as startling as it is, and I'm sure Maddie's dad, I mean, the way that she was saying he tears up about it still, like, it's so sad. You're so concerned about a human being. And then they disappear, which is so confusing. But yeah, I feel like sharing that experience and knowing other people have experienced it does help a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that freaks me out so much is, and it kind of, it's like with the Resurrection Mary or with Pele, who's on, you know, walking or in the back of someone's car, this boy didn't just, he wasn't just seen on the side of the road disappearing into the grave site. He was followed down multiple roads. Mm -hmm. There was a large amount of time where this teen was very, very visible, looked like a solid figure, and these people, Maddie's dad, this police officer- All of these people who have seen this spirit in the town spend all of this time being so concerned for him and have their windows down probably and are trying to call to him. And just to have that like blankness, that zero recognition is already kind of weird to just not be acknowledged. And then to then see that happen. Oh, my God. I'd be like, ew, I was staring at the side of a ghost's face this whole time. Yeah. It's really freaky. And I want to know if the grave says... Maybe Kaya will tell us if she goes, but the grave says chase on it. And so I wonder what if there are clear markers of the birth date and death date so that we know what age chase is. We
2: have to see more. We must. We must. Okay. What do you have? I have a story from Ashley and it's called Haunted Roads, Creepy Neighbors, and Crazy Hitchhikers. Hey, ladies. I just wanted to tell you that I love your show. Get ready to have a roller coaster of emotions from sad to scared to OMG, no, just no. LOL. Ugh. My first story was when I was like 17. I love to drive around and get lost. One night, it was like 1 or 2 a.m., and my friend and I were out driving and we went down this dirt road. It was surrounded by trees on both sides and barely wide enough for one vehicle. So, as we're hoping that no one is crazy like us and deciding to drive the opposite way, we're driving along scared, shitless. And then the trees start to become less and less and it opens into an open road with a pond on either side and grass taller than my SUV. So we're driving between these two ponds, hoping like hell that the road ends soon because holy shit, we were scared when out of the grass walks an older man and a young boy. And so we're freaking out thinking, OMG, this guy kidnapped this kid and we interrupted it and we're going to die. And so we're getting ready to call the cops when they just disappeared into thin air. And I was like, nope. I stepped on the gas and got the hell out of there. The next day, my curious mind decided to Google the road and I found out that a grandfather and his grandson had gone off the road into the pond and both lost their lives. So I think me and my friend had seen those two ghosts. It was definitely heartbreaking. My second story was when I was like 10 or 11. My best friend and I were completely obsessed with Bring It On and literally spent the entire evening watching it on repeat and we could recite it word for word. So it was around 5 a.m. and we're still watching and all excited when all of a sudden we hear someone walking on my front porch. I peer out the window and my neighbor from across the street is just walking up one side of the porch and down the other over and over, pacing. We noped, turned off all the lights, and went to sleep. Fast forward a few months and I'm sitting in my living room and again I hear his walking over the porch. So I decide that's it and go and hide in my room. The next day I tell my parents what happened and they're ready to call the cops when the phone rings. It was one of our other neighbors telling us to look outside. The neighbor that I thought I heard and saw walking across the porch was found dead in his home, and the police thought he had been dead in his house for at least a week. My last story isn't mine, but my mother's. Here's a little bit of history. My grandparents live in the middle of nowhere, up a mile-long driveway that goes uphill. The closest neighbor is at the bottom of the hill, and it's at least a couple of miles before there is another neighbor. The closest town is at least a half-an-hour drive, and at the time, they didn't have a phone. So it was back in the 70s, and my grandfather was the type who would pick up hitchhikers and take them where they had to go because it wasn't a huge deal during that time. One day, he passed a hitchhiker with my mom in the car. He had a feeling that something was wrong. He said something didn't feel right about the guy, and they just kept going on about their business. Anyway, a few hours later, they were there sitting at home, my grandparents and their seven children, when they got a knock at the door, which was really unusual where they lived because of the isolation. But my grandfather answered the door, and it was the hitchhiker. My grandmother, being the sweetest, kindest woman ever, told the man to come in and get dry because it had been raining outside. So this guy keeps asking to take a bath, and my grandfather, who still has a weird feeling about this guy, just keeps telling him no, sit by the fire, and get warm. He then sent his younger children down the hill to the neighbors to call 911, and this man keeps insisting on taking a bath, and my grandfather keeps refusing. Eventually, my aunt comes in and asks grandpa to come outside. So he leaves my mom and my uncle and my grandma with the man. My uncle was very into kickboxing and boxing at the time. So that's why he felt safe to leave the man with them. Anyway, the police come in and arrest the man and search him. And they found a machete tucked into the back of his pants. And he wanted to take a bath to get it out of his pants and then to attack my family. That's when the police put the man in the car. And one comes back to tell my grandfather that they're very lucky because he was a man that they were looking for who had recently escaped from an insane asylum many, many miles away. And that asylum ends up being in East Bethany, New York, Rolling Hills Asylum. Anyway, that's not exactly paranormal, but still way too creepy. Keep up the amazing podcast. Insert Sabrina's creepy whisper here. See you on the
1: other side. Ashley. That's so crazy. You know, we covered Rolling Hills Asylum in uh, episode nine. Whoa, that was so long ago so long ago. How creepy. Oh man. To think that i am just stuck on the last story. I know that she had two other stories in there, but like, this is top of mind. Cause this is what we just ended with and how lucky that her family were not victims of this man who had a machete and obviously an intent to harm them. And also something about her grandfather, it makes me think we always talk about that sort of feeling that you have sometimes when you, when you meet people, you just have a gut instinct. You have a gut feeling in it makes me wonder, like, what is that? Is there something actually in our biology that knows, kind of like animals will know if something's harmless to them or if something's a predator to them? Yeah. Is there something that's built into us, whether it be like physiological or, or what that reacts? Or is there something else that we're like tapping into actual energy and we all put out certain energy and somehow, though we don't know how or why for many people, we read that?
2: Definitely. I think you can totally... Read people's energies and know if I mean you hope. I think obviously, like people like Ted Bundy were extremely charming, and serial killers can be. But it's similar to I equate it to you know when your eyes are closed and you're kind of sleeping, but you feel like someone entering Mm -hmm. a room. You get that presence, like it's the same kind of thing. But it's crazy to me that this man who they pass on the side of the road was able to find their house.
1: It makes me wonder how rural this area is. Like, is there only one road and a few? Right. Neighbors. But the fact that he
2: winded up at their place, the same people, yeah. unless he like followed the car, I don't know, but.
1: Yeah, I'm very creepy. And they had seven children. It was a pretty packed house for him to go into, you know, seven yeah. children, both of the parents and the uncle was there. There's just a, a lot. Yeah. I'm just glad that they were all safe. Yeah.
2: And then the other two stories are so scary, too.
1: I know. So <laughs> another, like, hitchhiking ghost, essentially. Not really hitchhiking, but the older man and the young boy that were seen on the street. It's so sad to think, too, that this this man and, and this younger boy had died. And it sounds like it was the middle of nowhere, the fact that they
2: happened to see them. It was the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere. Like, I wonder mm-hmm. if any time someone drives down that road, the two ghosts appear, or if it was just, like, Right time, right place.
1: Well, I'm just glad that they disappeared into thin air. Because as creepy and as scary as that would be, especially at night, to be driving down a road and to see this happen, at least you know that you saw two spirits instead of what she had initially thought that she had happened upon, which was a potential kidnapping. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm very glad it wasn't that. And the fact that
2: she was able to find the story.
1: Yeah. The second story that she wrote about her neighbor it's interesting too it's almost as if the neighbor was trying to make everyone aware of his passing oh that's so sad it is really sad check in on your neighbors check in on your family members your friends the people that are living alone yeah and then if you have ghost stories please email them to us to two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com you can support us in a number of ways we have social media which you can join we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we have merch. So if you want to represent our podcast via merchandise, you can do so. All of our merch was designed by our fellow phantoms, Mm -hmm. the listeners of the podcast. So thank you to everybody who supported us in that way. And we will see you on the other side. side.